You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. So I'm back here for another episode of Derms and Conditions with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Chris Bunick, who's Associate Professor at Yale in the Department of Dermatology, where he does a lot of practice of uh, clinical medicine and also runs a laboratory there, does a lot of clinical research, but a lot of very important basic science research, which is geared to finding out information that definitely transfers to advances in the clinic, not only with specific medications, but opens up avenues for research to develop new therapies or to understand existing therapies even better. So, Chris, thanks for being here today. Hey, Jim, it's my pleasure to be here. I love uh, I love having fun talking science and talking clinic. Uh, it's nothing better than to mix them all together. Yes, it does. And uh, I have a lot of fun doing it with you, so I hope you enjoy doing it with me. <laughs> I do, I do. I just wish my Bruins had beaten your uh, Golden Knights. Yeah, well, you're not, you're not, you didn't get – we're glad you got knocked out because I was afraid you weren't going to – we weren't going to be able to beat you. There's a lot of luck in who gets knocked out early on, you know. But, you know, there's always next year. But you got to give them credit for what they did. So anyway, Chris, you know, we talk a lot between each other. We share articles. We're at meetings. We're advisory boards at at the podium talking about a lot of the same things. And there's so much new information that for the clinician out there in the trenches who's pretty much not doing what we do, not doing advisory boards, not doing clinical research, you know, they're reading what they can to be clinicians in the trenches. And they're in in practice every day, seeing patients, trying to keep up with all these new advances. There's a lot of noise that comes from a lot of different directions, some which is good and some which is clamor. It's white noise. And it could be very confusing depending on all the different sources. One of the areas that I've seen that I think can be confusing, that really shouldn't be as confusing as it is. It certainly has important aspects that people have to pay attention to in terms of safety. But in the area of monoclonal antibodies, and we'll talk about atopic dermatitis, for example, with some focus, because there's there's only one, there's only two FDA approved right now, but there's more information coming. And then we'll get into Janus kinase inhibitors. But but first with monoclonal antibodies, you know, we have dupilumab, which inhibits IL-4 and IL-13 by the receptor that it binds to. And it binds to receptors on structural cells and hematologic cells, hematopoietic cells. And we have anti-IL-13 inhibitors. We have tralokinumab now, and likely we'll have lebrikizumab coming down the line. And there are a lot of attributes and a lot of data, I and mean, there's countless data that that that's at meetings every year, in addition to the primary publications with dupilumab and even tralokinumab now and lebrikizumab, to sort it out for the clinicians, you know, can be somewhat difficult. But an area that I've seen that I that I think creates confusion, because dupilumab is dupilumab. It has tremendous success, covers a lot of other disease states, mostly related to atopic disease, as well as approval for atopic moderate to severe atopic dermatitis in patients that have not responded. Typically, it says topical therapy, but needs a step up from what's previously been used down to the age six months. So a large track record of 
excellent efficacy and safety. And a lot of biochemistry information, we now have specific proof about it actually improving barrier proteins and ceramides in the barrier and many other things like reducing cutaneous infections, et cetera. So I think Dupilumab, there's, we don't have a lot of question. We do, there are some safety issues at times like red face, erythematous reactions, and, and conjunctivitis. But I think a lot of the controversy or the questions come up in relation to anti-IL-13 agents like tralokinumab and even lebrikizumab. So I'd like to open this up to you as to what you see here, because I've seen some things presented that I really don't think are accurate or do proper justice in the area of IL-13 inhibition. And we've discussed it. So I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on that. Well, Jim, I think that atopic dermatitis is a a really uh, growing uh, field right now. And what I mean by that is that you're seeing a flood of innovation of new products into atopic dermatitis kind of catching up to what has already occurred in psoriasis, uh, is both in the biologic monoclonal antibody world, but also in, in the JAK inhibitor world. We're focusing on the, the monoclonal antibodies, I think that the reason that dupilumab uh, stands out to dermatologists right now is because it has been what's been around for six years. So there's six years of real-world experience data and what we're seeing is, you know, you and I have talked about this, and I think it's a very important thing, is that clinical trials, if they're not head-to-head, right, it's very difficult to make direct comparisons if a trial between clinical trials, if the medications themselves are not within a head-to-head trial itself. So comparing across clinical trials uh, is fraught with perils because different populations, different parameters, in one way that one way that some of the epidemiologists have tried to get around that, and when, when I say get around it, not necessarily in a nefarious way, but just using the data that's available and the techniques that are available uh, through statistics, is using network meta-analyses to kind of control or try to control for some of these uh, discrepancies among the clinical trials. And when and what comes to mind, I think there's two network meta-analyses. And there's Aaron Drucker has has a living network meta-analysis for atopic dermatitis. I think the most recent published in in JAMA, uh, JAMA Dermatology. And they compared uh, biologics, tralokinumab, as well as the JAK inhibitors, to the reference point of dupilumab. And so when you talk about dupilumab and its longevity in dermatology, uh, I think it's important because all of the analyses that are occurring to overcome this inability to compare drugs head to head uh, is done through network meta-analyses and they're being compared to to dupilumab. Now, most recently, Jonathan Silverberg presented at Revolutionizing Atopic Dermatitis, his own network meta-analysis. And again, everyone looks to, oh, well, how did the medicines perform compared to dupilumab? Uh, And I think in this particular network meta-analysis, uh, I think that maybe to some people's surprise, maybe not, the uh, upatacitinib 15 milligrams and 30 milligram doses, as well as the abracitinib 200 milligram dose, 
actually uh, came out ahead of dupilumab. Yep. And, but I don't think that's a surprise because there is some comparative diff types of comparative work. But what about specifically the monoclonal antibodies before we get to the jobs? Right. And this is what's interesting. In that same network meta-analysis, the dupilumab was ahead of both tralokinumab and lebrachizumab. And I think that I think that was also a surprise to me because that there's a lot of hype about uh, targeting IL-13 in atopic dermatitis. Uh, but yet both lebrikizumab and trilokinumab in that particular network meta-analysis uh, seem to be slightly inferior to dupilumab. And I think that from this analysis, it allows us to create talking points. It allows us to analyze. But when, when you actually get down to the nitty gritty of the patients, we know that there's many patients that have phenomenal responses to these IL-13 targeted uh, antibodies, just like there's patients that don't respond to them or dupilumab that do well with the JAK inhibitors. And right. so there's, there's, there's molecular endotypes of this atopic dermatitis. And right now we're, we're not quite at the predictive ability to say which atopic dermatitis patient is going to excel at which therapy. But what I think we are able to say, and, and, and in part, this is through the distinguishing of the monoclonal antibodies from the JAK inhibitors, is that atopic dermatitis is a multiple cytokine disease. It's actually more than IL-4. It's more than IL-13. Yep. And, and there are some patients that have more contribution from these, I, I guess, uh, I guess secondary cytokines in atopic dermatitis. Se secondary because we don't understand them fully, Chris. I mean, That's when right. you think about it, I, I recently was invited and I was glad I said yes to a textbook chapter, to do a textbook chapter on phenotype and endotypes and personalized medicine and atopic dermatitis. And we still treat these diseases in patients knowing that there are different phenotypes and certainly genetic predispositions that will allow for one medication to actually work better than another, but we don't understand it well enough. So we're treating all of them as if they're the same. But at the end of this, like you said, we're seeing differences in response. Eventually, we may be able to get a tape stripping and say, your pattern is going to be better with this specific therapy, but we're not there yet. So, so one of the things Jim, I like to say is all these medicines work, but we need to understand each of them individually and not just be automatically saying one is better than the other. For example, there's some data now. Now, they're just case reports. And I find dupilumab extremely successful in many people, never with any uh, reason to change. But there are some people that for whatever reason, dupilumab there's an issue with it. They don't respond to it as well. And there are patients that have responded to tralokinumab. There's one report where the same thing happened. There were erythematous reactions to tralokinumab and upadacitinib that responded very favorably without those adverse effects to tralokinumab. So we have to be open to the fact that these different therapies may help individual patients better than another, but that doesn't allow for creation of a blanket statement about the difference between them. There were patients that had conjunctivitis with dupilumab that did not with tralokinumab. And IL-13s can be related to conjunctivitis, but it doesn't mean because it happened in one that it's going to happen in the other. 
So I, I think your point is extremely well taken, but we have to look at them on the merits individually, not even from within the same chemical class. Would you agree? I agree 100%. I presented uh, just recently at the uh, fall clinical PA and NP uh, conference in Orlando, and I'm, I showed some of my own patients, in particular, a patient who had been on dupilumab, uh, had conjunctivitis, had incomplete response of the, the skin of the atopic dermatitis itself, transitioned to trelokinumab, the conjunctivitis cleared, and the skin cleared. So here was a real case in my own clinic of a patient that was, by all means, his atopic dermatitis was better on dupilumab, but he had the conjunctivitis. And moving him over to an IL-13 targeted uh, monoclonal antibody made the difference for him. And what's really fascinating is there's, there's a, a, a recent paper out by my colleague, Bill Damsky from Yale, who showed that a series of dupilumab patients that had incomplete response or failure actually had elevated IL-13 in their, uh, in their blood. And, and so this IL-13 elevation, uh, this is getting into the molecular endotyping of, of how a patient, why a certain patient may or may not respond to a particular therapy, in this case, uh, to dupilumab. And the IL-13 itself is is very interesting because IL-13, there's studies that show that IL-13 uh, is expressed at much higher levels in peripheral tissues like keratinocytes. Actually, Neil Bacci and I published a summary on that a few years ago. You're exactly right. Higher concentration in lesional, non-lesional skin, more persistent than IL-4, but it doesn't mean it's more important. That's right. So, and let me, let me tell you scientifically why. Because there's also data that shows that when you're talking about the type 2 receptor in atopic dermatitis, which is expressed in more in the peripheral structural cells, the type 2 receptor where IL-4 right, and IL-13 can both signal through that, the IL-4, there's a lot of science showing IL-4 is more potent than IL-13. So you don't need as much IL-4 to trigger signaling uh, through the type 2 receptor and then activate the JAK-STAT signaling inside the cell, whereas you might need more IL-13 uh, because it's a little bit less potent. And so this is, we're just really beginning to understand the interplay between the potency of not just these two cytokines, but all of the other right. cytokines. Right. And, and it goes beyond just which I still I feel that over the last few years we've been stuck at which cytokine IL four IL thirteen you know and now you could even throw in uh, the jack and the stat signaling so so we've been stuck at what but now we're at the nuanced science of understanding uh, more of how and why how is it the IL four can be more potent how is it the IL thirteen well, but you also can have to remember but you also have to remember it's not always that it's there all the time you can have a cytokine that has a very potent effect that has a persistence of of what it's inducing but it's evanescent right a hundred mile 150 mile an hour wind coming through for five minutes can do a lot more damage than a 20 mile per hour wind there every day, right? So it's not only that it's there, it's not only there the concentration, but it's what the impact of that cytokine is. And diseases don't own the cytokines. 
Well, I think that they, when you think when you talk about the impact of the cytokines, I, I think really uh, one of the things that we're interested in in our lab, and I think is the next direction. It, and I presented it this way at the, at the meeting I was talking about in Orlando. I presented it as we have the monoclonal antibodies that are functioning outside the cell, and we have the JAK inhibitors functioning inside the cell. But we, what we haven't really done well is connecting the physiology of the cytokines and receptors from the outside to how they transduce the chemical uh, signal across the membrane into the cell. There's still a lot of undiscovered uh, structure function mechanisms in that particular arena. Also, when you talk about IL-13, I think that what you're going to hear in the coming year what, what a lot of people are going to be talking about is this so-called uh, decoy receptor. I, yes. don't like, I don't like the term decoy. And I, do say I. It, I say it every time at the podium. I, I, I use the term non-canonical receptor because this receptor, the IL-13 receptor alpha-2, has distinct functions. It has its own set of kinases it can interact with, has its own functions, and the, the term decoy implies no function, and that's not true right. at all. But, and, you know, this brings up, we have, now when leprechizumab comes, it's going to be another anti-IL-13 that binds to the cytokine. But the same message that I keep hammering home and so do you is you have to look at each agent, each compound individually. Just because they're anti-IL-13s don't mean they're going to be the same. They, they, may, they bind to different, you know, sites on IL-13. You you have looked at that very closely. The one by, binds to that so-called decoy receptor and one does not. I always thought as, of that decoy, what they call the decoy receptor, not binding to it in my own mind, my own limited understanding, as a sink to capture some additional I, I, you know, IL-13 because the drug is not necessarily soaking up 100% of it in the circulation. So, you know, I thought that that might be, but your point is so well taken, you know, that there are differences between even lebrikizumab. So we have to, and, and tralicinumab. So we have to look at them separately and not lump together. Now we've always talked about JAK inhibitors being the next step. If you have someone that's not adequately responding to a Dupilumab, but now we have to consider that there are other options that may be used in that patient, which I think you you summarized. I think we both summarized very well. But I'd like to move on to something else in the remaining time we have. Is there's a paper you did that I was very interested in, and many people were, and I know you 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 published it with some colleagues about the conventional agents that we use to treat treat atopic dermatitis, immunosuppressive drugs like cyclosporin, methotrexate, corticosteroids, prednisone, right, um, as an example, and the serious adverse events that are associated with the box warnings in those particular agents. And you looked at that compared to what's been reported in atopic dermatitis with upadacitinib and abracitinib. The point being that we focus so much on the safety of the jacks that we forget that this can be in the background of atopic disease in some cases. We have to look at the population and also with these other agents. Now, 
a limitation, and you did make that clear in the paper, is that with the conventional immunosuppressives, it wasn't just the atopic dermatitis population. So it was patients with other diseases and other comorbidities that may have been factors in those adverse events. But you still did show that we can't forget that these agents can be associated with those adverse events. So I thought that was a brilliant paper. I was very happy to bring it to people's attention, but your team and your lead author did a great job on that. So can you bring that to light a little bit? Oh, Jim, thank you. Yeah, that paper that we published in the journal Drugs and Dermatology, that was back in, I believe, uh, no, November or December of 2022. You know, yes, there were limitations. And, and I hear you know some people saying, well, yes, there are limitations. Uh, regarding the fact that some of the data on the traditional systemic immunosuppressives uh, came from a population outside of atopic dermatitis. And yes, and we, we say that in our paper. However, I view this as a sign that we asked the right question because we asked a question that really no one had really thought about. And we know no one had thought about it because there was no data. Right. There was not there was no data. And, and, people, and people are just focusing on jacks and black box and adverse effects and not looking at putting it into perspective so, and focusing it on that the the uh, tofacitinib in patients that are in their 60s with several comorbidities and not just the populations that right. we're talking about. So, so if, if you can take tofacitinib and uh, if you could take the tofacitinib patients that were also not in atopic dermatitis, right? They are outside of atopic derm, tofacitinib, also getting methotrexate, right? And you can use that data outside of atopic derm to give atopic dermatitis patients boxed warnings. But now you're telling me you can't take data from that same population uh, using other drugs to explain some of the safety advantages of the JAK inhibitors. So, so you, it's a double standard there. However, the ultimate point of asking the question was that I remember when I was uh, first starting out as a young attending using methotrexate to treat some of my more severe atopic dermatitis patients. And so it came to me, well, well, really, if everyone's so worried about box warnings, maybe the question needs to be different. It needs to be, well, are they safer than what we used to use? Because there's over. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if we can say safer or not safer, but we can say that those risks exist. So you can't just focus on the jack inhibitors, correct? Right. So the the, the point that I'm making is that we have to understand uh, where, when we create treatment pyramids, we have to understand really where medicine should be positioned. And if you don't understand the risks of methotrexate cyclosporine and steroids in atopic dermatitis or other patients, then you can't make a fully informed decision. And so what right. we wanted to do with this paper is to provide a first level uh, uh, set of data that people could use to help make that decision-making tree. And what we ultimately concluded was because of the higher rates of adverse events, in particular, the cardiac, the clotting, uh, and the, malign the malignancy, we found that actually the JAK inhibitors, upacitinib and abracitinib, seem to be on par or less risk compared to those other traditional systemic immunosuppressants. Looking at the, looking at the JAKs in only the atopic dermatitis population. So I'd like to Correct. end with this, Chris. You know, being being in the middle and looking at it, you know, from both sides. 
I think it's extremely important that people recognize that some of these risks are going to be in the general population. Uh, and depending on the disease state, the disease state alone may increase the risk, like psoriasis in and of itself without certain drugs can have increased cardiovascular risk that we've come to learn, but also that don't just pin the adverse effects on the jacks because they are the subject of that everybody's focusing on. Recognize that these risks also are there with drugs that we've been utilizing for years, but we just never thought about it. So the right question has been answered. So Chris, I'm going to stop at this point um, and thank you for your time today. I'm sure we're going to get back to a lot of this in the future. The energy is unstoppable. I, I got to go take a break. I'm checking my pulse. It's up to about 180 beats per minute. But thanks a lot for the discussion. Thanks for all the hard work that you and your team do and the things that we do together. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us.